With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. So it's uh, late August, August 23rd, 2022. And, um, you know, we're probably about, uh, what, about 60 days-ish away. Um, actually, not even 60 days away. I think we're about uh, 30 days away, potentially, from from the ETH merge. And so what, what's happening with the crypto market right now is is it's just in a state of flux. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And, and so you have just all this viability hinging on this blockchain that, that I'm sure technically will work. Um, doesn't mean philosophically it'll work, but that's, that's a whole different story of which we're not here to debate today. Um, but, but it, the, the paint, the point to make is that, you know, it's whether it's a, it's a bear or whether it's a winter. I don't, I don't think, I think we're more in a bear and, and a bull can eventually, uh, re- really rise back up here shortly. Um, but I always go back to the builders are building. And the next bull run is not going to be built during the bull run. It's built, you know, during the bears and during the winters. That's exactly what happens. And so with me today is, is Bill Gleppi. Um, and, uh, again, really have a long history, but let's, let's kind of take a few steps back, Bill. Um, where did you come from and, and, you know, how did you get interested in kind of the Web3 asset class? Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Jay, and and great to be here. Thanks for having me. I love what you've done with with Y Whales, bringing together a great community uh, of people to to learn and explore the cutting edge of technology. And um, a little background about myself, you know, I've been a, a technology enthusiast since I was a kid. My dad really got me I- into tech, and uh, my my first love uh, was gaming, uh, and really kind of lived in the first. Uh, Metaverses, the first virtual worlds that were coming out in the late 90s. Uh, I, at 13, I started playing EverQuest, which was the the kind of the first MMORPG. Uh, and between age uh, 14 and, and my early 20s, I spent more time living in those virtual worlds than I actually spent in real life. Uh, I was guild leader running you know, 150-person uh, uh, clans and uh, competing in kind of the first esports before they're big and televised. Uh, but, uh, you know, really uh, out of college, I, I started my first uh, gaming company. Uh, uh, taking that passion and trying to make a career out of it. And that led me to uh, a job in product management at Zynga uh, during the heyday of wow. the, uh, the the social gaming boom. Uh, and uh, while I was there, I, I led product for a couple of their biggest franchises, uh, Frontierville and Zynga, uh, uh, Zynga Poker, which were about $200 million a year uh, revenue titles. And after that, uh, I left and at 27 started uh, my own uh, game studio again uh, with uh, my co-founder, Stephen John, uh, who actually met in World of Warcraft, believe it or not. Uh, wow. So a lot of my best friends uh, come from MMORPGs and uh, we bootstrapped that company with with uh, $50,000 of our, our own money to a $50 million a year business in three years. And we, we ended up selling that in uh, 2016, uh, stayed on for a little bit and then um, took took a little time off and, you know, saw 
what do I really want to do uh, in this next chapter of my life? And, and uh, during that period, um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to keep making games. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I rem- rem- was reminded of uh, how much gaming meant to me. Uh, and, you know, especially last year when there was more talk about uh, the metaverse and uh, NFTs and uh, blockchain gaming, um, I was inspired to kind of come back and, and build uh, some experiences that I would really love to play and that my friends would really love to play. Um, you know, I think the, the industry is, is uh, this technology is still really young. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity. And uh, as kind of a tech enthusiast, uh, uh, I'm excited to come back and, and tinker and to you know, see uh, how NFTs and blockchain can make gaming even better. Yeah, no, and, and there's a lot of things you said that I really want to take a second and talk about from the history of, uh, of really gaming. And so, you know, I, I was a, a 90s kid. You know, and so kind of that, that birth of, of dial-up uh, internet into kind of internet games and whatnot. And, you know, my first like real big MMORPG, you know, kind of time sink suck or, you know, life, life's force you know, <laughs> abandonment was, was EVE Online. And, you know, it, it was an incredibly complex game that's, you know, been described as, you know, spreadsheets online, mm-hmm. um, you know, from a variety of reasons. But... <clears throat> It showcased a very complicated game of which there was, um, I, I want to say, you know, usually there was about 100,000 plus people around the world that were playing at the same time. And mm-hmm. this, is, this was a very expensive game to play. Um, and it, it was a game. It was, exact, it was exactly the same as what you do. There was, you know, instead of guilds, there was corporations and alliances and all the other oh, things. Yeah. So it's a very big hierarchy of people and, and organizational um, templates and, and structures that, that could be built, um, of which there was a base level of, of instructions. But really, it was like, go have fun and do, your, do what you want. And, and during this time, and Eve is still around today, and, you know, I, I would hate to even think about the number of hours I put into this, but... but multiple kind of quote-unquote metaverses kind of came and went. You know, Second Life uh, and a variety of these other ones where it's like you're virtually somewhere but you have nothing to do. And and I think mm. that that's one of the biggest failures that we, we've seen right now out of metaverses. And, and I'm, I'm not knocking on anyone. I think that Decentraland is trying something because they're starting with a blockchain. Um, I, I, you, I can say whatever bad things I want to uh, about Axie's Infinity while they laugh in their, their hundreds of millions of dollars that they make every month. Um, but, but it's got to be better than that. And it has to be engaging and it has to showcase a lot. And so I'm really excited, you know, to, to see, you know, the professional developers, uh, that, that do understand that it has to be something engaging that, that brings people back, you know, time and time again, that if you enjoy that experience, you can only get it from something, you know, like, like what you're building. And I think too often that, that we're seeing a lot of the failures in the space of people saying, buy an NFT and I'll, I promise you I'm going to build you something later. I promise. I promise it's like, here's, yeah. here's a sizzle reel of which we paid somebody else that's not going to work on the project to make something that looks amazing. Um, and I'm not going to say the names of any of these things. Um, and it, but they have no ability to, to execute. And, you know, you've done this multiple times. Like you have your 10,000 hours in online gaming, not just from playing it. And that's like <laughs> sure. playing, it's, playing it's an education, yeah. actual writing code. And that's really a cool thing, Bill. Yeah. Wow. Thanks so much, Jay. Uh, you touched on a lot of interesting pieces there. And, and you're right. You know, 
there are people in game development who don't have that background uh, in gaming themselves. Uh, you know, when I worked at Zynga, you could you could see the difference between people who truly grew up loving uh, games and their design intuition of how things should feel uh, was was quite different than people who came in um, only with a background in consumer products and you know uh, saw you know, games as just a product. Uh, and there's a lot of power in that type of thinking of, you know, using that analytical thinking to, to optimize, you know, the experience and things like that. But um, at the end of the day, games are an experience and they they need to entertain, they need to connect, they need to uh, motivate, um, you know, help people achieve. Uh, and, you know, but I think what we're seeing uh, in this space is uh, that there's, there was a lot of, Easy money that uh, people were raising in ICOs and tokens, and there was a, there was kind of a new um, paradigm uh, of of kind of funding that people were were uh, operating on, where uh, hey, you kind of build the the protocol layer, get people in, and then you worry about the product later. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's just really hard to do that with games because uh, y- you to to think that you know the fun of the game just in a white paper before you start building it uh, is is kind of is naive, and so I think uh, I don't I don't blame blame people for kind of approaching it the same way that some of the most more successful uh, blockchain projects have approached it with a more economic mindset of let's just create the economic incentives, align incentives throughout the ecosystem participants. And then the ecosystem will produce a good game. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. No, and I mean, listen. Sounds think of, good think, on paper. <laughs> think of all the hate that that some of the AAA studios get for for pre releases. Like, oh my god, you're going to buy that game a you know a month or two months before it's released. Let's be clear; they're going to release something, unless we're talking like Duke Nukem Forever or whatever the case is, where it's just <laughs> it, it runs on for forever and ever. But I'd say for the most part, you know, ninety eight percent of the games that a, that a current AAA up and running studio um, puts a pre release for sale out, they're, they're going to get it out there here sooner or later, you know. And all of a sudden, you have people then throwing hundreds of millions of dollars instead at these blockchain companies mm. where it's it's literally a couple kids that go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make a game that does this and this and this and here, buy your characters you know, mm-hmm. for, for $1,000, $5,000, $10,000 a piece. And we promise these characters are going to be included in the game. They've never even made a game. They don't, they don't even know what they're doing. But, mm-hmm. but they, you know, they, they have all this money. And at, at some point, if you're, a, 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 in some cases, a 17, 18, 19-year-old kid, and you're looking at a crypto account that's got 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollars in it. You're, yeah. you're just going to rug. Nobody knows who you are in the first place. And it happens time and time again. And some of them make some decent efforts to, to do it and, and it, it just doesn't happen. And, um, or they produce something that, that's really like first gen from 20 years ago. And yeah. so, you know, with, with all that in mind and with the, you know, I think there's, there is a, a massive demand. For, for NFT assets, for, for blockchain gaming, and, and for, you know, if we're going to do microtransactions, like, that's cool, great. But, but do I get to, can I actually own it? You know, what can I actually do? And so I, let's, let's go ahead and pivot over and let's talk about Perfect Storm and, and what you guys are building, um, why you're building it, and, and kind of the, the market uh, niche that that satisfies. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, again, uh, I'm a gamer first and foremost, and I spent, uh, you know, over 10 years making games. And honestly, over that time, I, 
myself and many of my my colleagues never had an opportunity to really build something that we truly wanted to play ourselves. And so that's been a root of our motivation to to come back and and build a new game company, Perfect Storm. So we're taking a lot of the things that we we loved uh, growing up, uh, MMORPGs, MOBAs, competitive online games, and kind of blending those together in uh, a new game experience that, you know, roughly we could we could call it uh, a moba verse uh which you know to for for those in the audience that don't know that term uh moba uh stands for multiplayer online battle arena and it's it's one of the uh biggest genres of esports uh right now uh, led by uh, the likes of uh Tencent with League of Legends, uh, which is run by Riot Games and Dota 2 and um, uh, MLBB, uh, makes about $5 billion a year in revenue and um, extremely popular, uh, enjoyed by 300 million people uh, monthly uh, worldwide. And uh, so so what we're, we're really trying to do is... is uh, take that format that's you know loved and played by so many people around the world and solve one of the 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 key problems that it has, which is has a very toxic uh, community. Um, and you know really this stems from the transactional nature of relationships in the game. It's fundamentally a five v five team based game, uh, and uh, you you go into a two D interface, click a button, get thrown into a a game with nine other people. Uh, you duke it out, and then you get thrown back into a lobby by yourself, alone. Uh, and no surprise, uh, people uh, who play these games are in the ninetieth percentile on uh, loneliness. They want engaging conversations, and so we we thought, geez. Why not have uh, an actual virtual world outside the game where you have a persistent identity, where you can make friends, form guilds, join parties, go in, play your 5v5 MOBA match, uh, come back out into the virtual world, show off all the things, all the achievements you've collected, all the virtual items that you've collected in the game, um, You know, give so much more meaning uh, to the, the things that you're earning in-game that you can show them off to, to everybody in that kind of verse portion of the game. Um, and long-term, you know, open it up to be a creator economy because uh, these games were born out of modding platforms from Warcraft 3 uh, and uh, you know the long history of it 2003 Dota 1 came out of a mod of uh, Warcraft 3 and then that essentially inspired Riot Games to make League of Legends which is gone on to make about 20 billion dollars over the past 10 years uh the original the original uh game modders who created that genre they didn't see anything from it uh you know they they barely um you know have any uh, history that is can be seen today uh from that and so so that that's kind of uh, uh you know roughly what we're building here is is uh I kind of see it as combining three things, combining the uh, kind of MMO World of Warcraft social experience, uh, that MMO social experience, combining that with the most engaging competitive gaming experience of League of Legends, and then a bit of this, uh, you know, Roblox-like crafting, trading, user-generated content where people can contribute to the game, participate in in a robust, open trading economy. Um, And... 
you know, we're, we, we loved the idea of incorporating uh, blockchain technology there because, uh, you know, going back to when we grew up, I can't see any of my achievements or items in history that I have from, from EverQuest and from World of Warcraft. Uh, I, was, I was a gladiator in season one, which is top half percent of uh, players. It was, you know, the esports before esports were big. And yet I don't have anything that I can show today uh, to say, hey, look at that. Look what I did. Um, and so uh, that's uh, that's kind of how we, we we see at least one of the the big benefits of of uh, incorporating some uh, NFTs and, and blockchain is the you know the provable scarcity, the provenance of assets, and uh, the the emerging set of use cases that when you adopt the uh, the standards of of uh, uh, ERC uh, you know the ERC standards for tokens, you get to benefit from the growing set of use cases. That token can now show up in Twitter. It can show up in Instagram. It can be traded on OpenSea. And over the next decade, you know, the sky's the limit to uh, the, the types of experiences we'll see that are built around uh, that standard. Yeah, and you know, started off with the the asset class in Web three overall gaming. Like, it's got a long way to mature. I'm sure you guys have run into to numerous issues of, you know, what chain am I going to use, and, and a variety of other issues. And we've seen some people go, it's all on chain. Um, and and we've, we've seen, you know, even with the, the cheap gas and, and transaction fees on Solana, some people trying to record every single solitary move some of these char- characters and players make to the blockchain. No one cares what they, you know, like how where you moved around on the screen. Like so, there's <laughs> sure. there's a there's a good hybrid <clears throat> model that hasn't been entirely figured out yet. Um, but but you know things like in game assets. Like I my my kids are finally old enough that they're they want to play Call of Duty, and so you know we we're, we're playing Call of Duty. Um, um, and you know, in Call of Duty, there's like 18 different versions of this. The fact that that it's one gaming studio that you cannot transfer assets or even see assets mm. from one game to another or achievements from one to the next, you know, is is just infuriating. It's like why why you know these these kids are grinding their way. I got to get this gun. I got to get this everything else, mm-hmm. and then they finish it, and then the new game comes out, and you got to start all over. And, and okay, that's fine. That's part of the part of the fun. But as you said, there's nothing that's being carried forward. And right now with blockchain, it's such an easy thing to do. It's so easy to take some of these assets, um, and, and it opens up an entirely new universe. You know that I that we're seeing. You know, kind of the play to live, play to earn um, assets where people like can spend the time playing a game which they're passionate about and they love, and make a living from it without having to make yet another crappy YouTube channel of them yelling and screaming at the camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, look, there's been secondary markets for people to to buy and trade assets uh, in in games. Uh, I've been buying stuff in EverQuest and uh, World of Warcraft since the the late '90s in EverQuest, and um, you know these these have always existed in in gray markets. Uh, and I think um, it's it's a challenge for game developers to enable and to allow secondary markets. I mean, there's there's clearly uh, an economic incentive that the game developers have to not allowing that transferability. You know, any um, demand on a secondary market, uh, any supply of of digital assets on a secondary market, um, you know, runs the risk of uh, you know, they would say cannibalizing their primary uh, revenue and and you know they want gamers to 
keep consuming, keep buying the new yep. digital stuff that's coming out. And so they, you know, you know, candidly have very little incentive to uh, make those things uh, transferable. Um, but you know, as I see it, uh, it it takes some some novel thinking on how that uh, that type of economy can be designed. Um, I think it's it's much harder to uh, design and develop actual free market uh, style economies and games. But you know, you brought up uh, Eve Online uh, early on. These can exist. Um, I think certain genres of games are. Um, easier uh to to create these in than others uh but um but yeah you know my my hope is that uh we see with some of the you know one of the things that that i think is most interesting to me and most exciting to me is how um blockchain communities are trying to create more inclusive economies uh in in around their games you know where the what i would love to see is that gamers themselves have more of a seat at the table so to speak uh in the projects that are actually being created and that they're not just on the consuming end of it but they're actually able to uh co-create with uh, the developer to extend the IP in ways that they think uh, uh, are interesting and fun, and to unlock that creative potential of gamers. You know, gamers are some of the brightest, smartest, most passionate uh, people. Uh, and I'm biased <laughs> being a gamer myself and all my friends, but uh, but uh, you know, that's that's you know really my hope and and something that I see as just. Um, uh, kind of inspiring uh, about some of these early uh, blockchain communities is is how much they try to make it a co-creative effort, and you know there's a challenge in making a game uh, to harness that potential. But I think there's there's uh, some exciting models uh, that that can be followed to harness that creativity. That's awesome. So <clears throat> there, there's a lot of you know when we talk about the technology and everything else, it is rapidly evolving. Um, every six months, it changes. Every year, it's an entirely different landscape. Uh, and, and there's no right or wrong answer at this point. I mean, you can, you know, it's people that chose Ethereum in some cases chose it because that was the only option that was available for an EVM compatible chain when they started. And now it's, you know, that they're just they're kind of locked in. Um, what are some of the the technologies uh, choices you've made? I mean, there's Unity, there's Unreal, there's there's um, a, a variety of chains and, and protocols. What what are some of the the um, choices you made and, and kind of why? Yeah, uh, the, the, there's a lot that we can go in there. Um, you know, to start, uh, we've been building um, in Unity for a long time, and so we we chose to continue to to work in Unity. They have uh, the, the largest market share and and sort of uh, uh, the most you know robust developer uh, community of uh, 3D game engines. So we, we chose to continue working with Unity for uh, uh, its ability to allow us to develop very quickly and to have you know complete cross-platform compatibility. Um, in the MOBA genre started out more as a PC-based game. In the last uh, four or five years, we've seen uh, greater interest in you know mobile, um, with uh, MLBB growing from nothing to about seventy million monthly players uh, on mobile, uh, serving an, an underserved niche there. And and we think it's important to have going forward uh, that you know 
games need to be cross-platform. People need to be able to play uh, wherever they want to play. And especially um, maybe something that you know, the viewers may not think about, especially games that have strong uh, network effects around them. You know, mm-hmm. the, these uh, multiplayer games, they're, they're only fun if you have friends to play with. And if your friend doesn't have uh, a PC that can play it, uh, but he has a phone and we may take this for granted being in the US, but there's many uh, geographies where cell phone is the primary device and they may not have a a PC, a laptop to game on. And so keeping that accessibility for everyone to play by being available on as many platforms as possible is very important to to forge those uh, network effects around the product. Um, As far as the, you know, the blockchain technology, as you mentioned, things are changing very quickly. Uh, things look very differently, are you know, are uh, than than when we started the company late last year. And our perspective has always been try to isolate the risk of uh, any type of uh, blockchain technology. So we want to be uh, cross-chain compatible with with our assets. Um, but I think more importantly than that is we want we think it's very important that uh, there's a very easy on ramp for for people uh, to play the game. You shouldn't need to have a wallet to play. You know uh, that in 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 my view, um, you know fundamentally it's it's a database technology essentially, and uh, players shouldn't need to know how to interact with the database in order to actually play the game. So. We've uh, deliberately been developing the game so that you can come in, you can start to uh, collect items in the game. Those items are represented on the blockchain uh, as NFTs, and you can essentially, if you don't have a wallet, you can go ahead, you can go over there when you want to create a wallet and redeem the NFT into your own uh, into your own wallet. So this way, there's no friction to come in, start playing, start collecting. Uh, items um, and only should you choose you can go and uh, convert those into uh, an nft that you hold in your own wallet yeah i mean to me there's that <laughs> there's a lot of problems with web3 still um and, and one of the biggest ones is wallets and so even if listen we, we know the target market for gamers um, while we like to think of it as ourselves it, it is still a younger generation of which has you know very short attention spans. Um, and the last thing you want to do is frustrate people with that onboarding process. There's a game. Let's play the game. You know, it's, it, they can't mm-hmm. even stand the cutscenes, let alone like having to go, oh, I got to stop and figure out how to integrate a web through wallet into this. And so, yeah. um, you know, I, I love that concept of like, let's just play. Let's just have a normal web, <clears throat> web two interface, web two accounts. And if and when you, you want to claim these items, I think that's a really great approach. So I, I, I like that. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Uh, yeah, so, so, you know, Talk, you know, I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, the overall kind of like gaming asset class and, you know, a little bit outside of, of just the, the blockchain side of things, because there's, there is a talent scarcity across really any, any type of coding, um, you know, or, or technology based company right now. And with, with blockchain gaming, you you got like the worst of all worlds. You have a um, 3D designers, which are in heavy, heavy demand right now because we're, we're gonna we're most likely gonna see um, video games overtake Hollywood um, here in the very near future. So so the demand is is real there. But then two, you know, you you're a blockchain developer, um, and and you know, years in the space is just not many. And and so getting experienced developers in some cases doesn't exist. How how are you finding? 
um, you know, getting people to buy into your vision and buy into what you guys are building from, from a talent uh, acquisition standpoint. Hmm. Yeah, you know, uh, I we have the benefit of having a lot of years under our belt here, and so you know the the uh, the original team that we put together, uh, we've been together for a decade. We, most of us met each other at Zynga, uh, and and so we're you guys are like the PayPal mafia. <laughs> yeah, just uh, to, to some degree, uh, Zynga has such a storied history. It was such an entrepreneurial company, uh, and and from that, I think that over 250 companies spun out and uh, have been quite successful. Um, even today, many of the largest game studios in the world, uh, Roblox, uh, Epic, uh, they have uh, heads of product that from from that. Zynga, that early Zynga cohort. So, um, you know, I can't speak to more broadly the challenges that other developers are feeling, but um, I, I will say that uh, everyone that has come and joined uh, a Perfect Storm has done so because we have um, a fantastic culture. Uh, we um, really are people first, uh, really try to make it an amazing place to, to work at, and that uh, we're building a product that they really want to play. So uh, when we say, hey, uh, you can make a MOBA, um, there are so many people out there that have, uh, as I said, 150 million monthly uh, players play League of Legends. So I think that's the, you know, the first thing I would say and piece of advice is build something that people actually care about and people will be happy to come work with you <laughs> to, to create that, uh, build something that, uh, nobody cares about and you may, you may struggle. <laughs> yeah. Listen, and, and, and it's true. It's one of those things. So, so with that ability, cause you know, again, that's one of the biggest differences I think between web three, um, and, and, and predecessors web two is this, is this concept of community. Mm. Um, and, and there's always, you know, any popular game has a community, um, but, but they're relatively decentralized and, and not in the, not in the, uh, the right meaning. Um, uh, <laughs> sure. meaning that, that you generally have, here's the, uh, you know, here's the game. And then there's a lot of third parties that are trying to facilitate what a community means around there. So it doesn't come from corporate. It doesn't come from the same people that are trying to help showcase ins and outs. And, you know, every now and then there's a forum that they'll have on there, but it's, it's sure. not really that, that, you know, it, that's not the crux of where they are. So in, in Web3, we can solve all this because we can do a lot of things. Number one, you can create a community in a variety of places, but, but through tokens and, and, and uh, NFTs and everything else, you can actually provide ownership or, or potentially, you know, revenue generating um, you know, kind of resources around this, as well as giving them governance to decide what should we do, where should we go? Because at the end of the day, who are you building this for? It's not for yourself. Um, I know you're really excited to play every, all your games that you're building, but you sure. want to make sure that you're you're facilitating this. And so the core, the core concept of having a community with governance and, and ownership of, of an actual game or series of games is like... You couldn't do it before, well, because what you know, what are you going to do? Is issue stock certificates to to every single kid um, out there? How have you guys kind of approached communities um, mm. with, with uh, Perfect Storm? Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a that's an area that um, we need to educate ourselves even more about. Uh, it's it's as you said, this is not a natural way for game developers to approach uh, development to really co-create 
with the community uh, from the early days. Uh, usually, as you said, there's this this kind of clear barrier between the internal development team and the uh, actual ex- the ex- external customer. And so um, we're really excited about uh, that potential to, to bring the community uh, and in earlier and get them involved. And so um, we're launching, uh, you know, our first vertical slice of the product uh, towards the end of the year here. And we're going to create uh, a program where, where uh, people can come in, start playing it, provide feedback, provide direction on the new classes that come into the game, um, the new cosmetics that come into the game, and try uh, try our best from the from the earliest days to co-create it uh, with the community. Uh, but you know, as far as what's the right uh, governance model, um, I think it's it's project by project. Um, I think in in game projects, you still do need to have a great degree of central coordination in the in in the early days of the project. Um, any game that is going to uh, involve a high degree of uh, game balance around the actual combat or the economy, that's not something that can be totally decentralized to everyone. And so um, as as I kind of see it right now is that the early days, um, the things that can be decentralized better is uh, more um, cosmetic items that come into the game. Hey, yeah. what are the new emotes? What are the new dance moves that go in? What are the new costumes that are going in? Those things we would love to open up for the creativity of the community because, you know, we can get um, a lot more variety. Uh, the The... Uh, it could be a lot more sensitive to local tastes and interests uh, around the globe. Um, so those, I think, are great candidates for early decentralization to the community. Uh, I, I think the the uh, some of the the, the combat deni- dynamics need to be uh, more centrally coordinated for uh, a period of time. But um, once the you know the foundational technology is up and running and kind of the core combat rules are established, uh, I think that is something that can also be more opened up and, and uh, decentralized for the community to contribute to. Yeah, and, you know, one of the, the really important things that I, I hope, I hope, I don't know, but I hope um, really it, it happens in, in Web3 blockchain gaming um, is, is the ability to migrate, you know, characters and assets from game to game. Um, and, and while that may sound a little strange, I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, I get it that each game may have different hit points and armor and lots of other things, but but the identity and, and you know, this this idea of digitizing your identity and having on-chain your identity. Um, if I could choose to have one character of which I actually enjoy, I, I built, I liked, or, you know, you, you can use, you know, Ready Player Me or Mutable X, you know, one of these, one of these kind of third parties to make a character, you know, I really hope that that starts to facilitate that when I play a game, whether it's, it's, it's a, it's a perfect storm game, uh, it, you know, and, or anything else online is that I really do want, as long as there's some core functionality flowing through it, that that my character, I don't have to go through the design phase every single time over and over again. Is is that something that? I, and again, I'm, it's a leading question, and I hope you answer yes. Um, but but I hope I hope that some of the stuff does flow from from game to game. Yeah, I, I think that's. Um, yeah, I hope so too. I think that'll be very interesting to see more interoperability between games. You know, I think there's always going to be um, a need and a space for uh, different identity, different. Um, aesthetics, uh, you know, taking 
my orc from World of Warcraft and you know playing that in uh, PUBG, you know, player unknown battleground, a first person shooter, um, may may break the immersive experience of going over there. But at least having uh, uh, having options to have game experiences that have you know, more persistence of identity through them, I think is, uh, is really interesting, uh, to explore. Certainly, uh, for us, you know, we're planning from the beginning that all the, all the games that we build around this MOBAverse, uh, will share, um, a persistent identity and all the cosmetics and items and achievements that people earn in all the games, uh, can be brought back to kind of a central social space. So whether you go off and play your, uh, your MOBA or your card battler or your auto chess game, or, you know, um, uh, your hero shooter, uh, everything you collect in all those different games uh, can be shown in the central uh, social space. And I think, I know, there, as you mentioned, Ready Player Me, there there are some uh, companies that are trying to facilitate this. Um, I, in my view is that uh, uh, oftentimes this comes, there's, there's a consumer product that reaches mass market success and then they essentially establish the standard for everyone else so if anyone uh solves this it's it's likely to be epic <laughs> given how uh you know how much uh, uh how, how large their user base is how popular they are um but uh, we'll see yeah i i think one of the things that that really and, and you're hitting on the standards things that I, I think is a really great conversation to have because what what we want <laughs> What we want is that we have a wallet full of all these NFTs. We pay tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars. We don't know, you know, but but we see people spending, you know, insane amounts of money to have some of the first characters that are going to go into a game. Um, the game hasn't been developed. We don't know what if it's going to be built. But but that idea that we can move that, we can take that asset and and say it goes in game A, goes in game B, may, maybe not goes in game C, but at least it's it's it has other availability. And from you as a game as a game developer. Um, if, if all you have to build is worlds, you know, if you just go look, everyone's got characters, everyone's got weapons. We'll, we're going to facilitate and use, you know, same as you would any open source, any open source code. You go look, it, as long as they adhere to these standards, you know, you can use your phone on whatever network you want. You can drive your car on whatever road. You know, these are these are the laws, these are the rules of the game and the rules of the metaverse. I mean, I would think that that would drastically speed up what you could do if you're only focused on on the world and the gameplay rules and you're not having to develop all the different characters and everything else because people are just bringing those in and show up and they're already ready to go. I mean, we're not today there. It's that's, you know, five plus years down the road. Yeah. You know, I think in that case it's, it's, we can't, um, we have to be careful to make uh, broad generalizations around uh, all the different types of game genres. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, in our case, uh, the, the characters themselves um, have such tight design uh, constraints because it is an esport that you're playing. The visual clarity of combat needs to be extremely high uh, in milliseconds. You need to be able to identify who am I fighting against? What abilities do they have? How can they attack me? How can I defend against that? And so uh, it, from an animation standpoint, from an um, artistic like art style standpoint, visual clarity is extremely important for the legibility of the game. And so uh, even for us doing this all in-house, um, we have to 
really be creative within these constraints to allow for some expressive freedom for the player, but also to make all the combat uh, extremely clear uh, when they're inside the 5v5 competitive mode. And so I think that, again, that's just an example of, of our case. Um, I think maybe other... MMOs more broadly, uh, uh, if you're if you're playing something that's less of a uh, player versus player kind of competitive game, um, those visual design constraints are a lot looser, and you can you can have more freedom if you're playing. Uh, um, so, you know, I, I think I, there there are probably some genres where you know the, being able to to import uh, your identity and assets could speed things up but um I, I don't see that as the case for you know for the it, genre but, we're in but bill this is why we bring the experts on here because i i have no idea what i'm talking about in any way shape or form <laughs> and, and you just clarified something because i've heard this time and time again and i mean literally there's entire companies dedicated to well we're going to make the characters and someone else is going to make the games and then our characters are just going to bounce around and i mean these people people in some cases have raised hundreds of millions of dollars to do this and the reality is what you're basically saying is unless you're going to have like Mario World Maker where all the physics are the same and you're just you're you're just that's it like yeah you can bring whatever character you want in but it's the same game after the same game after the same game you know you're not going to get any of the the really in-depth things that make a triple a game a triple a game which is those nuances like that it's you know when something hits it has to react this way instantly it can't be um, a generic animation of of this or that and so i think that that really showcases and helps for me understanding the space the cross compatibility is, is is still a, a far gone dream um and, and yeah. while there are while there are certain genres that you're, you're right they're probably you know like a, like a sims game like great you bring sure, whatever sure. sim walk around put a little bubble on their head and, and great yeah, nobody yeah. cares but if we're talking action if we're talking the things that that really do attract people to the most of the mmorpgs or, or the actual tech technical term that you call them it's a lot harder than that yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, it may even be possible in first-person shooters. Sure, run around and you know swap out the gun, and you can be whatever character you want. I mean, uh, Fortnite is sure, certainly showing um, the you know creative range they can have on characters. There, they just added Dragon Ball Z to uh, to their IP. Uh, um, but uh, you know, it's specifically, I, I can only speak when we get to the real details about our, our own project. I would say probably 75% of the cost that goes into each of the classes that we make is actually in the engineering the different um, abilities that the, the class has, the animations and the VFX that that character is going to do. You know, if he's going to do a backflip and then drop a trap, <laughs> that's not going to come over in a third-party generic uh, uh, asset. It's, okay, we've got to design that backflip and that trap and that VFX that comes with it and then code in the, the engineering logic for what that does in combat. Okay, it roots the player in place, uh, does damage to them. All of that, uh, we'd still have to to code, so... Yeah, but I, the 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 one thing that does survive this, and the one thing I think that that still is there, is that as you know, Perfect Storm makes games. You 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 know the standards of which you you want to build your characters, mm-hmm. and the core concept is whether you allow it or not. That I could take from totally 
from from version A to version B to version C that I can carry these these, these assets forward. Which you know, right now at Fortnite, the only reason they carry them forward is because it's always the same deal. It's always the same. You know, the different seasons and and everything else. And you can yeah. you know, um, my my fifteen year old is is super into it, and so he's just super proud that he's got some of the you know nice. season season two and season three characters. Um, you know, they they have no extra abilities. It doesn't matter you know what you're using. Um, but but I I really find you know that that idea that if he wanted to um, you know if, if they came out with a different game would they make those move forward they probably wouldn't um, they're going to want you to buy different skins and everything else so I, I really I, I think there's a ton of clarity that you just provided on how hard this is and how early we are in the asset class because um, I've talked to people they go yeah we're just going to make the characters and, and we're going to make them in unity and, and they have a bunch of different different features and it'll just work like you'll just, you'll just be fine here. We're going to, mm. we will publish the open standards, um, of which, you know, the characters will walk and shoot guns and do everything else. And you're over here going like, dude, no, <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's gotta be amazing. And then maybe one day you'll publish, you know, what, what your, uh, what your standards are. But, you know, right now it's, it's still game development is game development as it's been for the last two decades. Yeah. And I, I, I think, you know, it's it, to some degree, it's it, this is kind of uh, creating. In that case, there, it's creating this like multi-sided market of like, well, where do you where which problem do you start with? And I think um, I'm more bullish on somebody building the uh, a really great mass market consumer product and then opening the standard rather than building the standard and hoping that developers then go build the. Uh, the mass market game. <laughs> on top of that, uh, the the only uh, company I guess I would be bullish on that is either is either Epic or uh, or uh, Facebook because they already have the the audience. Uh, but you know, uh, I, I, I got to tell you, audience <laughs> audience may be large on Facebook, but my God, their their meta demo, demos just showcase like I, it, literally. It's like they pulled like some old Zynga footage out of <laughs> like nothing's occurred in the last you know decade plus and, and i mean the i don't even know what they're doing um yeah i don't see any value to to what they're creating or or what his vision even is is the scariest part mm. i haven't been i haven't been following it uh uh too closely but you know i think they're working within um a lot of constraints with the hardware uh you know it's got to be low cost it's got to be high performant it's it's got to be you know even even where it's at right now is not good enough <laughs> it's it's uh, you know we want 8k per eye we want 16k pixels per eye uh we need 90 frames per second um but you know i i think uh something that you know they've seen from the beginning in in running facebook is it's about getting users uh and getting them to create and so um, I think something that he's probably thinking very hard on is how can I keep this accessible for people to create within uh, my platform and creating, you know, we've, we've seen a trend here from text-based social networks to image-based social networks to video-based social networks to, you know, maybe immersive world, immersive content-based uh, social networks. And the, the jump in complexity from recording a video <laughs> and doing some production on it to creating immersive uh, 3D assets and 3D worlds, it's a much higher barrier to get in. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I would imagine that's, that's something that they're trying to balance is the, the hardware constraints, the frame rate of the performance of it, and how to 
enable, make it easier for creators to come and build inside and around the game. They spent $10 billion over the last 14 months. If we gave you $10 billion, what could you build? I don't know. I, we, there's no way we could deploy $10 billion. <laughs> but, Somehow uh, they did it, and, and they produced nothing. So it, it's, that's yeah. the worst part about it. Uh, Bill, I mean, really fabulous discussion. I think for anyone that's really thinking about uh, you know, whether, whether they're going to build a game um, or they would like to invest in, in, a, uh, in a team that's, that's building a project game like, like, like Perfect Storm, what are, what are some of the ways to kind of come about that? What, you know, some of the theses that, that you've, you've developed uh, over your career and that you're deploying now uh, into Perfect Storm? Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Jay. That's a, that's a good question. You know, um, I think the, the biggest thing I would say uh, when it comes to gaming is uh, not all game uh, genres are equal. Uh, there's very different dynamics in each of the, the different game categories, game genres. And in particular, if you're looking at uh, this intersection between um, blockchain and gaming, um, I think you really need to look towards uh, game genres that have very strong uh uh, network effects within them. Um, they're extremely durable businesses. And what I mean by that is uh, look towards the uh, uh, the large online multiplayer competitive games or MMOs. Um, these games uh, uh, are very durable because uh, you can't just copy the game and uh, uh, launch a competitor. The, the value of the product is in the audience and the player base that's around it. You know, you take uh, the MOBA genre that that we're working in right now, and and uh, there is no MOBA game if you can't connect and play with other people. <laughs> and I think um, a lot of uh, uh, value can be unlocked uh, uh, around uh, these games that have deep uh, network effects uh, by introducing uh, blockchain technology. Uh, and so uh, that's that's you know our thesis is that the the um, the best businesses uh, over the past uh, a couple decades in gaming uh, the blizzards the riots the Robloxes the Fortnites uh, you know Epic Games all of these uh, are powered by strong network effects and that um, there will emerge uh, uh, a, a new leader uh, from uh, you know at this intersection of blockchain and gaming that finds a way to uh, power those network effects with with blockchain you know one of the things I really like about the thought of blockchain gaming and and I think that a lot of people knock on it because they, they just think it's another way for microtransactions to take over the world and you know it's, it's, but but at least having some level of ownership to me would would be worth it and the thought that you know let, let's say you know perfect storm you guys put out your game and all your characters and your assets are all you know somebody can say you know what that was great I loved it I it's taken over my life for years I've I, I need to take a break which is you know generally when you you say you won a game I won because I quit uh, Getting, getting my life back. But they can take those assets and go, you know, I don't want to get rid of these and put them in a wallet. And let's just say years down the road that someone else has developed a game and goes, you know what? I, I remember when Perfect Storm built that thing years ago and, and the servers, you know, have long since been shut down, but it's a retro game of which I had great fun with my friends. I, I, I enjoyed it. And they can fire something up and recognize those old assets. And and think about all those games that, that you've played and I've played and, and you know, just lost to time because they shut down the servers. And, and there's some games I remember having 
thousands of hours in. Just, I absolutely love them. Mm-hmm. And the developer just said, you know what? I, 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 there's not enough, you know, uh, ability to main, maintain this. And so when they turn off the servers, you lose your assets, you lose your identity, and, and, and you just kind of have a few memories of, of these games. And I love, you know, what you're, what you're talking about, which is just the thought. The thought of ownership of of your online identity, your online games, and that creates communities that may not even have been a thing. But you know, giving some backwards compatibility to an asset on a game ten years down the road may create a sub community of people that showed up and go, "Oh my god, you know, look, it it, it works with uh, it works with this Perfect Storm character that I that's been sitting around doing nothing for five years." And I, I think that's a really interesting way to think about where the world's going. Um, and it does give a little bit of, of, I think, validity to the idea that my, that microtransactions in games, you know, don't have to be a bad thing as long as you own it. And you're not just, you know, shipping money off to, you know, the developer that that's going to shut down the game in six months. Yeah. Now, thanks, Jay. I, uh, it's, it's, it's a good closing thought there. And, um, I agree. You know, as I, as I said, uh, I have tens of thousands of hours in, in EverQuest and World of Warcraft, and I would love to, uh, be able to, um, you know, show show those uh, achievements and those items off uh, in the games that I play today. You know, I, I can't imagine how fun it would be to be able to ride around in my Swift Nether Drake in uh, League of Legends uh, and and show that hey, I was a gladiator back then. Um, so yeah, one one can hope. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill, if people are interested in in what you guys are building, interested in joining you, or just learning more, where, where's the best place for them to come find you guys? Yeah, the best place come come see us at uh, perfectstorm.gg. I have a link there to our Discord, and um, uh, or hit me up on LinkedIn, uh, uh, Bill Gelby. Awesome, awesome, Bill. Thank you for your time. Why Wills? That's uh, Bill with Perfect Storm. We will catch you guys uh, later. Thanks so much. Thanks, Shane. Why Wales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbach, a passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. Why Wales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. To be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by Truthwork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.